The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, shots in the arm, Dr. Scott Gottlieb on successfully vaccinating our most vulnerable citizens. They can't just open up, you know, big vaccination centers in giant stadium and expect 70-year-old people to drive out and line up outside a large stadium. They have to offer this in the community in places where people are accustomed to getting their health care, like a pharmacy. And money walks. Mark Weinberger, the former EY CEO on companies that have backed political candidates and are now backtracking. Nobody gave money to a candidate or a cause thinking that they would ultimately end up voting against the certification of the next president. Plus uncertainty on the Hill. CNBC's Eamon Javers on impeachment 2.0 and the imminent transition. Not at all clear now what the timeline will be, whether they can hold a trial uh, and convict and remove the president if there's time and if there's votes for that. It's Wednesday, January 13th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. The House is preparing to vote on a historic second impeachment proceeding, and that's where Eamon Javers is, who joins us with the latest. Eamon. Yeah, good morning, Andrew. They do have the votes, it looks like, uh, to impeach the president of the United States for the second time in the House of Representatives later on today. We expect that vote as soon as late this afternoon after Democrats moved an article of impeachment uh, charging the president with incitement of insurrection. The politics on this are moving pretty quickly, Andrew. We saw Liz Cheney, uh, one of the Republican leadership members, uh, issuing a statement yesterday. Take a look at what she said. This sort of changes the dynamic uh, in the Republican conference. Liz Cheney saying there has never been a greater betrayal by a president of the United States of his office and his oath to the Constitution. She says she will vote uh, to impeach the president of the United States. Meanwhile, in the Senate, Mitch McConnell uh, may be changing strategies here. Here's the reporting from The New York Times that landed like a bombshell in Washington last night uh, as reporters scrambled to figure out what's going on over there. The New York Times reporting that Senator Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader, is pleased that Democrats are moving to impeach President Trump, believing that it will make it easier to purge Trump from the party. Last night, House Democrats moved a motion pushing for Mike Pence, the vice president, to push forward with the 25th Amendment and remove the president from office immediately. Pence rejected that idea, uh, saying that that's not what the 25th Amendment is for. Uh, so now we head to an impeachment vote in the House of Representatives and a really uncertain picture in the Senate, with McConnell signaling that he is uh, prepared to accept impeachment of this president. Not at all clear now what the timeline will be, whether they can hold a trial uh, and convict and remove the president if there's time and if there's votes for that uh, on the Senate floor. All of that unclear as of right now, Andrew. Back over to you. Okay. Um, I have, a, by the way, a, a question that um, may seem insubstantial, but I've seen a lot of traffic on it online, which is if the president were to be impeached, there, there's... There's, there's some speculation that he would lose things like his pension, uh, the, potentially the security detail uh, around him, um, the uh, other, uh, other 
accoutrements, if you will, of being a, a former president. Is that right? Yeah, that is right. They could they could vote to remove, uh, you know, his pension uh, and office space and you know other benefits that a former president gets. Uh, it's not uh, likely, though, that they would remove Secret Service protection. In fact, I think there was a change. I have to check this, but I think there was a change in the law that suggested that a uh, president would not lose Secret Service uh, protection, uh, no matter on what terms he left office. Uh, given the sort of violence that we've seen in the country. You know, that might be seen as unwise uh, in, the, in the Senate, but uh, there might be an effort to remove, you know, his office space, uh, you know, post-presidential uh, funding, all of that from the president as well. And, of course, there's the big question, which is, uh, could he run again in 2024? The president seems to be signaling he wants to do that. Uh, but the Senate, if it convicts and removes him, could also vote to block him from ever holding federal office again. And that would take him out of the way of some of those Republican senators who seemed like they want to run in 2024 as well. So there's a lot of politics in all this as well, Andrew. All right. Eamon, uh, always uh, good to uh, see you and get, your, uh, get, get the latest on all of this as it, it seems to be so fast moving. Thanks. The Trump administration uh, yesterday issuing some new guidelines opening eligibility to everyone 65 and older as well as younger people who are immunocompromised. Uh, in accepting the new guidance, New York Governor Cuomo tweeted urging patients because there are now far more eligible, has only two L's actually, uh, New Yorkers than available doses. Meantime, HHS Secretary Alex Azar said the government is changing the way it allocates vaccine doses, prioritizing states that administer their supply quickly and states with a larger elderly population. Meantime, the U.S. government will require all international airline passengers to show proof of a negative COVID test before boarding flights to the country. The CDC order takes effect January 26. It applies to international visitors as well as U.S. citizens returning from abroad. Join us now, former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He currently serves on the boards of Illumina, Pfizer. He's also a CBC contributor. I love states' rights, Scott. Our forefathers were smart. But now I'm wondering, were we wrong? I, I, I have no idea how to interpret what the federal government said yesterday and how that's going to be implemented in states. In fact, Looking at the way the different states have approached uh, the distribution up to this point, I have no idea uh, which one is, is doing well and what the bottlenecks are in the other ones. Are we going to make any progress based on that uh, recommendation yesterday, Scott? Well, I think this gives states more flexibility to get out the supply. I think states were tying themselves into knots trying to adhere to a very narrow criteria, strict criteria that made it difficult for them to distribute it in an efficient way. Look, I, I, I agree with leaving it up to states in terms of how they determine um, distribution. And different states have different um, resources available to them. So they're going to be distributing it differently. Some states will turn to big box pharmacies. Some states will turn to their lo local counties, which might have good infrastructure, good public health infrastructure. I think what we should have tried to have a more uniform approach is on eligibility. Um, we said on this show it's going to seem unfair to a lot of Americans because you'll hear from a relative in one state who will have access to the vaccine and a comparable person in another state won't because the states were going to set up very different criteria. And that's, in fact, what's happened. I think there's, there's no reason why we shouldn't have a uniform approach in t to um, how we determine eligibility as we move across states. And I think that broadening it 
is going to create a more uniform structure. The excess demand really is among senior citizens. That's where there's really intense demand to get vaccinated. I think opening it up to 65 and above is very prudent. Uh, and I, I would expect we're going to work off that demand relatively quickly. There's probably about 40, 45 million senior citizens in this country that really want to get vaccinated very badly, maybe less than that. Um, and I think we should focus the resources there initially, given the fact that they're at excess risk from the are disease. We just, are we just going to have different people... <laughs> We're just going to have a different group of people eligible to get it that, that can't get it? Well, I think there's still going to be some heterogeneity because, you know, that once you move beyond the senior population, it's easy to say, well, 65 and above is eligible. And that could be a uniform standard across the whole country. And I don't know why we don't try to move towards that. But then once you get below that, there's going to be pockets of eligibility as well among people who have certain comorbid right, conditions because that was the additional guidance that they put out. Right. So there'll still be some heterogeneity across states. I just meant, Scott, that right now, for example, in New Jersey, they, it was 1A and you can look at who's eligible. And then you look at which dates they ask you to pick to get the vaccination. And, and the very furthest out date says, call back, uh, log in later. And none of these are available. So now you're going to go from uh, people that were frontline workers that can't get the vaccine because none of the dates are open to anyone 65. I don't know if Murphy's going to do this, but you're just switching one group of people who can't get the vaccine on any of the dates offered to another group of people that still can't get the vaccine on the dates offered. Yeah, look, New Jersey seems to be having um, some unique challenges on the distribution side. So there's there's a difference between states that aren't expanding eligibility like New York was in that that camp about a week ago and states that are still having trouble distributing through the points that they've made vaccine available. And I would put New Jersey in that bucket. Big state, large population, but they are having challenges um, distributing the vaccine. So they need to open up more distribution points. And this gets to the other side of the coin, which is probably pushing out more of this vaccine through retailers, going to Walmart, going to Target, going to um, you know, CVS and Walgreens and the big box pharmacies and local pharmacies as well and starting to push vaccine out through that channel so you open up more points of distribution. And that also allows you to create scheduling systems where you could see where the demand is and the federal government can make more uh, supply available based on booked appointments, based on um, demonstrated demand through appointments. Yeah. Scott, I'm sorry, could you just be a little more specific in, in the uh challenges New Jersey's facing because of distributions? Well, look, I think one of the challenges is um, they've stuck to this criteria um, narrowly. So you had to be a, a, a healthcare worker or a first responder. And so they, they pursued those narrow criteria and they stayed in 1A for an extended period of time. But they're also not pushing it out through a lot of um, different distribution points. There are some local clinics. If you go onto the websites in New Jersey, and I have, you know, within a county, there'll be three or four um, clinics that might be offering it. They're putting it out through ShopRite. They haven't opened up a lot of distribution points. So I think as they expand eligibility to 65 and above, which they probably will, they're going to need to push this out through more retail points, more community points. They can't just open up, you know, big vaccination centers in giant stadium and expect 70-year-old people to drive out and line up outside a large stadium. They have to offer this in the community in places where people are accustomed to getting their health care, like a pharmacy. Do you, we've had some discussions about, I just made the general point that, you know, we want to get to herd immunity or we want to get a lot of people vaccinated because that's when we'll start to see a dent in, in the, the rate of, of transmission. And yet I immediately hear that when you get the vaccine, it doesn't mean you can't give it to somebody else. I, I, otherwise, if that were, were totally true and if we couldn't assume that eventually you're going to cut down on, on COVID transmission from the vaccine, we'd have to get to 100 percent. Because even getting the vaccine, you could give it to someone who didn't have the vaccine. And we know that's not true. When you get to 50, 60, 70 percent, 
you already, there's enough breaks in the chain of transmission uh, to where it slows the, uh, the infection rate down, right? I mean, we, do you right. know, are there that's, other diseases, right. Scott, are there other, are there other diseases where you've been inoculated? Measles, uh, small, whatever, whatever disease that you're talking about, where you're, where you can still give it to someone who hasn't had the vaccine? It's rare, right? I mean, you would hope that. Yeah, I mean, flip. Flu, but, but there's a presumption. Look, we need to demonstrate this. We, we don't have an answer to the question, which is why people hedge when asked, does this prevent right, infection? Does this prevent transmission? The assumption is among most people that a vaccine that's 95% effective is probably preventing some people from getting infected. And among the primate studies do show that it prevents transmission. They're pretty good proxies. So most people assume that this vaccine is preventing infection and preventing transmission. Right. The reason why all of us, including myself, are reluctant to say that is because we don't know the magnitude of it. And we don't know it for sure. I mean, these things right. need to be demonstrated. But I, I, I'm optimistic that when we have the evidence, it's going to demonstrate that there's some reduction there. Um, and the reality is, to get to your point, you don't need to get 100% vaccinated to get herd immunity. Right. We're, we're already achieving some level of you know, population-based immunity that's slowing uh, transmission because we've yep. infected 25 30% of the American people. Scott, this will it, add to that um, right. level of immunity. I was just making a point. It's not a stretch to say that if, if for a person that gets the, the shot, it, you take 100 people that are in their 40s that get it, you probably have prevented someone from dying by 100 people in their 40s, if they didn't get it or they did get it, you can probably find a transmission to where it ends up in someone who gets it who dies. So the faster we get this out across the board, no matter who you are, the more important it is to, to saving lives. I think that's right. Okay, good. People. Uh, thanks, Scott. I don't pay any attention to what they say, though, as you can see. They don't, uh, they don't, they don't bother. And I know they don't bother. You must get some great... Uh, you know, maybe I don't need Twitter. They don't want me that someday maybe I just won't need them. That, that, that may come to that. It may come to that. Uh, Scott. You know what I mean? I mean, my life was, I don't, I, you know, half my, three quarters of my life, I didn't have this horrible thing. Becky, thanks, doctor. We'll see you again soon. Thank you. Thanks. Next on Squawk Pod, corporate America and Washington. Too close for comfort? Former EY CEO Mark Weinberger on American C-Suites reevaluating their political donations and whether cutting off candidates will really make a difference. Even if in, in industry companies decide unilaterally, we don't want to give anymore, all these others are going to continue to give to fund candidates who are opposed to your industry position. It's really hard to say we're going to stop and everyone else is going to continue. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Corporate America taking a stand in response to the assault on Capitol Hill last week. Major companies like Microsoft, Facebook, Target and others halting political contributions. Disney and Walmart announcing they're suspending contributions to U.S. lawmakers who oppose President-elect Biden's certification. Here with more on what responsibility corporations have in the political arena and whether this is a lasting change. Mark Weinberger is here. He is 
course, the former CEO of e &Y. He was a member of the Business Roundtable Board and also served as Assistant Treasury Secretary in the George W. Bush administration. It is great to see you, Mark. Um, curious to hear how you're thinking about the moves that uh, companies have been making over the last several days, uh, condemning the attacks, but more importantly, um, withholding their political money uh, from some of these candidates, uh, uh, or, or I should say some of these politicians who sought to overturn uh, uh, that, uh, that vote. Andrew, great to talk to you again as well. Uh, so it's obviously a very difficult time for uh, business leaders because nobody gave money to a candidate or a cause thinking that they would ultimately end up voting against the certification of the next president. They make their contributions based on uh, how an individual may affect their industry, their company over periods of time, locally, nationally. And now they're faced, obviously, with a backlash. So you kind of have to separate the moment from the overall system of how financing is done to elections these days. And I think people are stopping because they want to show an immediate accountability for the actions taken by those individuals. And they don't know what to do yet. So they're pausing till they figure out how to move forward. But, so, but Mark, the question is, six months from now, do you believe that some of these companies are going to continue to um, effectively fund? I mean, look, there's an argument to be made that some of these companies were funding sedition, right? I mean, that's what we're talking about here. And whether you think that they are going to return to do that. Uh, I made an argument in yesterday's New York Times that actually this could be a remarkable uh, moment, an opportunity for companies actually to just get out of the business of, of giving entirely. I, I, I personally believe it's fine for companies to lobby all they want, uh, but uh, the idea that you can work the ref and pay the ref at the same time seems like a, uh, a terrible idea. Yeah, I read your article. Very good article, uh, as usual, Andrew. Um, you know, I think that uh, you're, you're raising a question fundamental to the entire system. Nobody gave money to fund sedition. And this is the risk when you give money to a candidate, they may or may not agree with you. They may oppose you on taxes. They may oppose you on regulatory issues. They may have a view that affects the country very differently than you want to go. And that's the risk. Um, I think it's hard for, for businesses alone to decide they're no longer going to uh, participate in the system. I mean, you have uh, other environmental groups, you have uh, labor groups, you have others who all contribute to PACs. So it's a reasonable question to look at the entire system and question whether fun a public funding or private funding of uh, elections is right or not. But to say individual companies should just stop on their own, it's like a unilateral disarmament. And how do you think just about the way companies are going to deal with, at, at minimum, the politicians that were involved in this uh, really sad and tragic moment in our country going forward? Do you, do you, are, you, are you convinced well, I, that, that, that money really will not go towards them? Yes. I, I don't think anyone's going to want to. As I said, people contributing to elections aren't contributing to politics. They're contributing to somebody who they think will help them at a local, federal level to understand their industry and business. But somebody who undermines democracy and is not good for the society, not someone I think any business is going to want to support. So I do think they'll be held accountable in that there will not be money available to those who have taken that position. Hey, Mark, I wonder if there's a broader movement just to say, forget about this, forget about political giving. And, and this is a moment where these companies can say this and it makes a whole lot of sense. 
But if you look, some of the biggest donors happen to be very heavily regulated industries, companies within those industries. What we've seen is as soon as one of those companies says right now that they're going to stop giving, all of the other companies in that industry tends to do it, whether it be all the financials, all of the, um, the telecom companies, anything along those lines. There is some strength in numbers and a reason to say, OK, this is a time to stop and let's just say we're not going to do it anymore, especially when you consider look, if none of my other competitors are going to be giving, then I don't have to worry when the politician who happens to head up the committee that oversees my industry, that regulates my industry, calls up and asks me for something. It's hard to say no in that scenario. And I've heard stories of politicians doing just that. Is there a movement afoot to say, hey, we're going to band together. It is hard for individual companies to say this, but we're going to band together as an industry and say we're not giving anymore because of all of these factors? Or do you think there's always going to be somebody who goes back and says, okay, I'm going to try and get out there and, and get an edge by trying to influence more? It's, Becky, excellent question. I, I don't know if there's a movement afoot yet, but but I, I could tell you, I don't think the business leaders are thrilled with uh, always being called up and asked for money uh, for particular causes and, and individuals either. So I think there would be a great desire to have a, a completely different system, let's say, and, and how, how you finance uh, elections. But even if in, in industry companies decide unilaterally, we don't want to give anymore, uh, let's say if you're an energy company, but you have um, environmental PACs, you have labor union PACs, you have all these others who are going to continue to give to fund candidates who are opposed to your industry position, not even your company position, it's really hard to say we're going to stop and everyone else is going to continue and my interests are going to be well represented. So I think it's broader than just looking at a company or an um, industry and say, how do we want to really elect people going forward in this country? Should we be going to the private sector for financing? Mark, but the question I, I, I would ask is, you know, could all of the members of the business roundtable come together and say, we're out effectively? And by the way, I, I, I agree. Everything I said about corporations try, trying to work the refs uh, and paying the refs should similarly be applied to uh, PACs for unions, should be uh, 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 applied in so many other realms. But couldn't the, the business community here take a leadership position? Couldn't J&J, &J, you're on the board of J&J, &J, couldn't you say, you know what, we're out of this? This isn't good. For, by the way, it isn't good for the credibility of the company. It isn't good for the credibility of the politician, because in both cases, it looks like both sides are trying to bribe each other. And you would think that the cost and, and the, the potential cost, which we which we saw in real terms this week or this last week, um, are real. And they're not being added into the calculus here um, because and the other piece of this is they're going to be politicians who are going to do or you're going to support for one thing and they're going to do something potentially that may be at odds with you on another issue. And in a world, uh, they call it the hypocrisy conundrum, there's no way out in, in this world where companies like yours and, 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 and leaders like yourself are trying to stand up and say we care about stakeholders across the board because you're not going to be, it, it's, almost a, it's almost a lose-lose. So why, why not just say we're out? Yeah, Andrew, it's a, it's a fair question. But, but again, I go back to your point. It, it, nobody gave money expecting or supporting uh, sedition or supporting a candidate who would oppose even the new president of the United States being duly uh, certified into office. And so it does go to potential brand and reputation of the company. And I think companies are going to start to look much more carefully why you're seeing this pause. They're saying, let me step back and see how I'm allocating my money and what this could do to my brand. Remember what they're doing, Andrew, is they're um, pulling together all their employees' money 
and then investing it uh, in the candidates on behalf of their employees. That's what the PAC is. It's not the corporate money. And for them to just say, we're going to stop doing that on issues that are very important to us, like regulation, like uh, how our industry could survive, because we're afraid of somebody doing something wrong in the future, is a difficult decision to make in the heat of the battle right now as this issue is on the table. So you're seeing this pause. I think you're going to see everyone reconsider how and what decisions they make about who they give to, how employees are represented, what their reaction is going to be uh, to the situation. And then o- over time, I think you'll see some adjustments. But I really go back to it's hard to unilaterally say we're going to stop giving and because of a lot of the issues but, they do But, care. Mark, you can do it individually. Mark, you, you, you as a board member of J&J could say, you know what, J&J, we want, we want to actually be a leader on this. What do you make of what IBM does? They, they don't give. There's literally zero giving. By the way, Apple doesn't have a pack. It's doable, right? Oh, it's, it's definitely doable. Companies could or can't give, depending upon what they want to do. But virtually every business uh, asks its employees if they want to contribute to a pack, and then they give that to, com- to individuals who will presumably have a positive impact on their industry. Um, it is the way elections have been run. This is a, you know, this individual moment in time is so unique, Andrew. I'm not saying your questions aren't a good one, but I don't think you have an immediate reaction to this and say, this is what I'm going to do forever going forward. That's why it's appropriate to pause and look and see what we should do uh, in light of this and, and maybe uh, work with groups outside the business community as well. Okay. Uh, Mark Weinberger, it's always good to see you get your thoughts uh, on all of it. Uh, it is a, a historic uh period that we're all living through. And I know everybody's trying to grapple with what the right answers are. Thanks. Thank you, Andrew. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We hope you enjoy it. Tomorrow, Ken Langone, the outspoken co-founder of Home Depot, weighs in on healthcare, politics, and the business community's response to last week's riot at the U.S. Capitol. I feel betrayed. Last Wednesday was a disgrace. It should never have happened in this country. And if it doesn't break every American's heart, something's wrong. It breaks my heart. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, 
packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.